I am the very model of a moderated general. I did the basic benches of an animal and mineral. I know the kings of England and I caught the fight historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. A little Gilbert and Sullivan to start our day. Uh, the reason being, folks, <laughs> what, Twitter is such a horror, but every once in a while, every once in a while, it just blows you away. Um, and somebody did this, a guy named Bob. A guy named Bob who had like two followers is all of a sudden like the king of Twitter because he came up with a parody of that song from Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. Um, and he just did a verse. He came up with a another verse. And then Twitter went nuts. Uh, other people chiming in. And I don't know that I have them all. I, 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 I'm just going to share a few of them with you because it's so brilliant. It, of course, has to do with... Uh, the president's tweet of the weekend, which has to go down in history as maybe the best of of all time, uh, that sums it all up. Uh, Trump obviously flipped out by the uh, by the book um, Fire and Fury uh, that suggests that he's a moron, um, having to come out to say that in fact, not only is he not a moron. He's a genius. Here's one of the tweets. It was, when I read it, I nearly, here it is. This is the President of the United States. Actually, throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been mental stability and being, like, really smart. Now, first of all, I got to tell you right there, <clears throat> inserting like really smart is so bizarre because it's not something you would do writing. Like is one of those verbal placeholders to let your your <clears throat> your brain catch up to your mouth. So you add in it's like an or like uh like uh while you get your your ducks in a row to be tweeting and actually put like in the tweet, especially when you're suggesting you're a genius, is, <clears throat> my God, then he goes, very, I'm a very successful businessman, he says, I'm a television star, I think that would qualify as not smart, but genius, and a very stable genius at that. <coughs> so, Excuse me. That's the tweet that launched a thousand parodies over the weekend. <laughs> and I can't sing with a bit. This is sort of patter. It's not unlike rap. Um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan writing in the 19th century were, uh, wow. I mean, it's just brilliant. So here they go. Here's Bob who started this off. I am the very model of a very stable genius. I have a mighty button and no problems with my penis. I have no time for television, golf, or social media, since my brain is way better than the best encyclopedia. Okay, now you know I can't sing, but just listen to these rhymes. It's wonderful. Here's somebody else. I like to tweet the lies of racist grievances historical. When Russian ties are mentioned, I deny them categorical. I do not feel the sting of words because I am a venius. I am the very model of a very stable genius. Sorry, I can't sing. I don't think this one scans, but I'll give it a shot. I'm very well acquainted, too, with matters immigrational. My genitals are massive and my hairpiece is sensational. My tiny hands are frozen. I will warm them with a grabby feel and fill my greasy mouth with yet another Mackey's Happy Meal. Whatever. Okay. Here's another one. This doesn't work. My speeches are the best. I am the best at slurred meandering between extremes of bullying and sycophantic pandering. If you're not counting Nero and forget who Miss Mussolini is, I never had an equal as a bigly 
Stable genius. Screw that up. Rhyming Mussolini is with very stable genius. Is that not great? If you're not counting Nero and forget who Mussolini is, I never had an equal as a bigly stable genius. Here's another one. I am the very model of a stable genius president, improvident, incompetent, and wildly overconfident. I'm getting rich destroying the American experiment, beholden like a puppet to a hostile foreign government. That's pretty damn good. So, Twitter went nuts with these brilliant, I mean, it's just brilliant. I mean, something to do while we we're waiting for, uh, you know, for him to start a nuclear war, but uh, if you, I have said more than once uh, in the last month that I can't laugh anymore at this. I I can't laugh at the late night guys doing their shtick. I can't. I'm sick of it. Can't do it. Um, it's not funny. But this was funny. <laughs> this was funny. And uh, if you if you. I wasn't even wasn't even tempted to to try my my own because uh, this is a kind of cleverness that would uh, elude me. Well, guys, there's an awful lot going on, ain't there? Other than the uh, very stable genius. Um, there was a story in Forbes, I believe, today that God, I hope, is so incorrect. Um, it's a story written by some business writer. I could tell from some of the information on him, since he's got a book that's about to be published by Regnery Publishing, that that means he's a, a real right-winger, too. But he says, understanding Jeff Bezos, understanding how he operates and what he has done with Amazon's power and his efforts to... Uh, to continue it, uh, he says that the <coughs> awarding of this second headquarters to some lucky city, um, he says, is going to go to either Pittsburgh or Detroit. Now, he doesn't know. He goes way out on a limb in writing that, but he had reasons for saying it that Bezos would not want to go to like what's considered, you know, like a major, major city, New York, Chicago, yada, yada, yada. He would go to a city that once was mightier and he'll want to help reinvent it. I think Pittsburgh's been doing just fine on its own. We don't need Jeff Bezos to reinvent us. All he's going to do is come in and take us over. The only thing that gives me a, I mean, the only thing I would like about Bezos coming in here, it was it would knock UPMC off uh, its pedestal, you know. No longer would UPMC sort of own the town. I've always said we're a company town, but then we'd be an Amazon company town, which comes with its own uh, trials and tribulations. Uh, but. I, if you want to look up this guy, I, I didn't find it necessarily compelling, but um, just wanted to say that some people who think about this stuff a lot think we're in a real good position to win this contest that every city in the country has gotten involved in. So just saying, I'm one of the naysayers on it that I um, just don't. What is this? Oh. Yeah, uh, Stephen's saying, you know, I should challenge you that if any of you think you can uh, come up with a a good stanza, uh, go for it and put it on my Facebook page. On what? Or email it to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you understand it has a very specific pattern. You know, you have to... Uh, do it. 
some people have tried and, and failed, I must say. But it's a lot of genius is a real tough uh, rhyme. And and to see the things people come up with there is just wonderful. But my all-time favorite is Mussolini is, is just wonderful. Uh, what we got? Lynn, did you see the article in the New York Times the other morning? It's about pseudoscience, but it seems to apply... Oh, to um, his tweet of stable genius. It's a cock... Oh, yeah, I did see this. There's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It is a cognitive bias in the world of psychology, uh, which says the less you know, the less able you are to recognize how little you know. So the less likely you are to recognize your errors and your shortcomings. For uh, the highly skilled scientists, the opposite is true. The more you know, the more likely you are to feel, to see, to know how little you know. Um, And I have little doubt this is true. I've often likened it, my phrase for this problem of people who know very little, who are so uh, ill-equipped intellectually that they then uh, think that they are brilliant or know-it-all because they don't know anything. And it is true. The more you know, the more humbled you are. <clears throat> the more you know, the more you know you don't know shit. I don't care if you are, in fact, a genius. <laughs> um, that is so true. And so we do have a president who is just a a walking personification of this Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> A person who knows nothing but thinks he's a genius. Oh, man. Okay. What else we got? Okay, so we had... Oh, God, there's so much going on. A Golden Globes, anybody? Uh, did you Did you see it, I suppose? Um, today on CNN, just to see, they gave uh, Oprah a big award... And um, she gave a speech which blew everybody away. It was a, we- a very good speech, as Oprah is exceedingly capable of making, writing, and delivering. It occurred to me, because I read the, a transcript of the speech later, that it doesn't read as well as it, as it loses some power without her delivery. Uh, you don't spend a lifetime, uh, as she has, in television and not know how to sell whatever it is you're saying. And so it was a powerful performance um, about being a better country. And, of course, right after it, everybody starts saying, Oprah for president. Now, without a doubt, I would trade Trump for her in a minute. In a minute, nanosecond. Because she is intelligent, clearly. She's extraordinarily talented. She is eloquent. I like her politics better. But, guys, I, I just think that if we start going down this road where the only people who have a chance at being elected in a national election, a presidential election, are celebrities, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. 
That is not to say that somebody might not be a celebrity who is got who has all the uh, all the skills that would make for a good president, but there's something to be said for coming out of a political, you know, understanding politics, but with Trump we've seen that but he surrounded himself by fools and idiots, and he, of course, is a deranged narcissist. That would not be true of Oprah Winfrey. I don't know. I just think it's a dangerous road to go down. I'm, she's a remarkable woman. But, I mean, this is serious talk going on now, of course, because we're an unserious country, uh, easily distracted. Oprah Winfrey gives a great, great speech at the Golden Globes, and now CNN, I put it on this morning when I was getting dressed, CNN was talking uh, with total seriousness about whether or not she could run and whether she would win and whether she would be a viable candidate. And I, I seem to think that the consensus was yes. And... I am led to understand that um, people, reporters, have asked both her boyfriend, whatever he is, Stedman, and her girlfriend, Gail King, whether she would ever consider running for president. And both answered in the same manner. Yes. Yes. But suggesting she would have to be wooed a bit and asked, God almighty. So that's what we've come to now. Uh, Oprah, Tom Hanks ticket. That's where we are. And it says something about how the Democrats are at sea as well. The Republicans are have taken a, have bought a a one way ticket to uh, the seventh circle of hell, which they uh, which they deserve to be in, and uh, their party is grotesque. The Democratic Party is simply leaderless and weak, ill defined. The Republican Party has been very well defined. And that's why I place it in the seventh circle of hell. I'm a very stable genius. You know how we were talking about uh, pumping your gas and New Jersey and Oregon being the only ones and, and I was opining, how the hell... Who would be the lobby that would keep a state legislature from allowing people to pump their own gas? It wouldn't be the gas station owners because they don't want to have to employ people to do that. And I couldn't figure it out. Well, it got figured out for me. Initially, when this became law, it was 1940, 1951. That's when New Jersey put in its ban on uh, pumping your own gas. And the reason was safety concerns. Uh, but gas station owners challenged it. They They wanted people to be able to pump their own gas. So they took that law all the way to the New Jersey Supreme Court looking saying it is ridiculous there is no uh, there's no factual basis for this and uh, in 1951 the state Supreme Court ruled that self-service gasoline was quote dangerous end quote and upheld the law. Again, there was an effort to get rid of that ban in New Jersey. And 
Again, it went to the New Jersey Supreme Court. This is in the 80s. And again, was upheld. So we don't see any lobby here. We see this somehow passing constitutional muster. But the New York Times did a piece about New Jersey being the last state to just be absolutely don't, doesn't let anybody pump their own gas because Oregon has started to open up. Chris Christie, when he was governor, proposed getting rid of the law and was astounded by the negative response. Turns out the lobby in New Jersey that keeps this ridiculous law is the people of New Jersey. So this is democracy in action. There is no lobby. This is the state legislature actually doing what New Jersey residents want. Namely, they don't want to pump their own gas. And you know, if someone were to have asked me back when I had to learn to get out of the car and pump my own, I would have said, no, I'd really rather somebody else do it, especially on cold days, especially if I'm dressed up. I don't want to be. I mean, yeah. None of us really had a choice. <laughs> We're used to pumping our own gas. But New Jerseyans haven't, and they like things just the way they are. So there is no corrupting business interest that has created this law, that created the law and or uh, has kept its remarkable uh, longevity intact. It's the people of New Jersey who take pride in it, according to the article. The If you're looking at demographics, the two major demographics that especially love the law, and this won't surprise you, are the elderly and women. So there you have it. And in, um, I guess, politicians now in New Jersey, they won't even bring it up. It's, forget about it, they're going to be the outlier, they're going to continue to be, and they're proud of it. So uh, one person who's in the know uh, about Jersey politics says it's kind of one of the third rails, you know, the thing you don't touch of state politics in New Jersey. So there, I got my, my curiosity was, uh, was satisfied about that. And uh, I find it interesting. I assumed it was some corrupt, but I couldn't figure out who the corrupting influence would be. And it's not corrupt. It's the people. Finally getting what they want. Jeez. Who, who ever thought of such a thing? Uh, we got a call? Hey, caller. Hi. Hang on. Go ahead. Hello? Hello, Hello Lynn. Yeah. No. I'd have to probably write in Joe Biden if she would run. I wouldn't vote for her. I would not vote for an entertainer. No fucking way. They already own the country. Supposed to make too much money. I will not vote. I like her. I'm not saying I don't like her. I would not vote for her if she would run. I'd, I'd write in Joe Biden. Yeah, but what I if... Wait, 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 wait. Just let me say. What if, I mean, she'd be running against somebody. So let's say she's running against Mike Pence. And your write-in is going to only help Mike Pence. Let's say I'd write. I'd still write Joe Biden in. I won't vote for an entertainer. Never. I never will. I'll just. I'll vote all the other Democrats for the other yeah, parts of the government, but not her, not an entertainer for president. Now, if she runs for governor for state, 
and then she wins and she has experience, then I'd vote for her. I'm tired of this bullshit of people thinking the entertainers are going to run the country. They already run the country. Sports, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we were, we're nuts over entertainers. I will not vote for an entertainer. Okay. I understand. And, uh, and um, this Stephen, Stephen Miller, whatever his <gasps> name is, he is the biggest horse's ass. I, I like to punch him right in the mouth. Well, who wouldn't? You know, get in line. Uh, he is, I, and then he said he's a political genius. No. What happened was the Democrats and Hillary Clinton underestimated the Trump voters. And that's why the bastard won, and we didn't, the Democrats didn't come out to vote. They figured she had it in the bag. That's all that happened. He didn't win by no landslide. He is not a political genius. He's an idiot. I wish him ill. I do. I wish the guy would eat a fucking Big Mac and die. He's a no-good son of a bitch, and the rest of them that were with him, there's all <clears> kinds <throat> of them. You've got that Stephen Miller. You've got that... Jordan from Ohio. They are no good, rotten son of a bitch just stirring up nothing. They shouldn't even be in Congress. How do we have these kind of people in there? It's unbelievable. This Tea Party crap that stirred all this shit up. Then you got Bannon. That he is a slop. He looks like a drunk. They're all worthless pieces, piece of shit. And we got to get them out of there the next election. There's no doubt about it. We can't put up with this anymore. I'm so pissed off at these bastards right now. I wish the election was tomorrow. Hear you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Righteous rage from an American. Righteous rage. Yeah, if you happen to see the Stephen Miller um, interview with Jake Tapper on Sunday, uh, he is the most loathsome human to come down the pike in a long time um and jake tapper it was wonderful how he he dealt with him the the uh i don't think i want to bear listening to it i mean we could play it for you but it's just it's he was just spouting off all this these lies uh, about uh, Donald Trump and what a genius he was and how he'd done something magical to the country and that elites like uh, CNN would never understand. and blah. It was just the usual blah, blah, blah. <coughs> he didn't answer any of the questions that were being asked. He rode o- overrode Tapper's attempts to uh, control his own interview. And finally, Tapper just said... Uh, Look, it's clear you're speaking to an audience of one. That you're, you know, you're being a sycophant, and uh, I forget he called him a bunch of names. He did, and you're only, you're only doing this so the president, you know, watching, uh, will love you a little bit better. You're being an obsequious uh, courtier, and you're wasting my, uh, my audience's time. And uh, he turned to the camera and just started into a sto- another story with Miller sitting there twitching. He twitches. He has these, um, it's just like, a, you know, if you were casting an evil character, uh, I would tell any actor, just watch Stephen Miller. Watch the slight little, this slight little upraised thing that goes on with his left shoulder that comes in and and a slight little tick in his head um and 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 he's just he's he's truly vile um these are bad 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 people uh dangerous people So, I hope you saw Nicholas Kristoff's little piece on Sunday, because he said, let me just do the headline for you, why 2017 was the best year in history. That sort of runs counter to everything that we think. But what Kristoff has done is what he often does. He's backed away from 
our parochial and narrow perspective, which has to do with us, our world, the United States, which is in trouble. And understandably, we thought 2017 was about the worst year ever. But Christoph spends a lot of time, you know, all over the world. So he's capable of a bigger perspective. And here's what he tells us. 2017 was probably the very best year in the long history of humanity. Hear him out. A smaller share of the world's people went hungry. Impoverished or illiterate... Oh, they, a smaller share was hungry, was impoverished or illiterate than at any time in human history. A smaller proportion of children died than ever before. The proportion of people disfigured by leprosy, blinded by disease like trachoma or suffering from other ailments, fell. He says the news focuses on the bad stuff, invariably. Not the jet that takes off and lands, but the jet that crashes. And that's what we read when we pick up newspapers, the bad stuff. And meanwhile, life on earth for many, for millions, is slowly improving. He says those who track this stuff say that these days, people are coming out of extreme poverty at a faster rate than they ever have. They're gaining access to electricity and to potable water, more so than has ever been true of people on this earth. And he said, you know, we forget, but as recently as the 1980s, 60s, excuse me, it's my eyesight. Those sixes and eights, I'll tell you, they can, you know, my lifetime, I mean, I was, I was an adult in this, some of the 60s. A majority of humanity in the 60s was illiterate and lived in extreme poverty. And now that number is down to, listen to this, 15% global illiteracy. And if you take all the people in the world, he says fewer than 10% living in extreme poverty. That's amazing. So, Hundreds of millions of children's lives have been saved since just 1990 by vaccinations, by treatments for diarrhea, for breastfeeding, by breastfeeding populations. So those of us living in our neck of the woods need to understand that we ain't the be-all and end-all and we aren't even the biggest story. This could be the biggest story and maybe, as he suggests, should be the biggest story. And he suggests that we all remember to not forget the things that are going right, that progress is being made by dogged, faceless, courageous people. True heroes. True heroes. I got a, uh, a thank you note from a doctor in um, 
I'm blanking on what country he's in, in Africa. This is a man, his name is Stephen Hodes, H-O-D-E-S, who my brother happened to meet at um, some event. I think it probably was at a, some university, because that's where my brother hangs out. And he met this guy and was so blown away by the work he does that my father uh, instituted a, a small family foundation. And um, we, now that my father's gone, oversee it and make sure that we disperse monies to certain charities uh, throughout the year by his foundation. Now, believe me, I ain't talking tons of money. But we started giving money to this guy. And I, because I'm the director of the foundation, he sent me a thank you note and with it some stories about what he has been doing and what he has seen. He has set up programs throughout the country that take in kids whose lives would be living hell and through surgical intervention they are able to walk they are able to eat by themselves they are able he does this amazing remarkable work he's a hero why are we always call anybody in a uniform we call a hero we we don't even uh, I'm sorry, but one of the things that's happening to me is I am so down on us. Even us. Not just our government, but us. Our, our country, our people. We are, we have, as I was saying last week, we have a vile culture. A vulgar culture. We Donald Trump is in many ways the perfect president for this country. Because if a president represents, he does represent what's gone wrong. Everything. The self-interest, the corruption, the vulgarity, the shallowness the lack of seriousness, the contempt for intellect, the contempt for science, the contempt for art. He's the perfect personification of the culture. And that is not to say that there are not heroic, courageous, and wonderful people in this country working against all of that getting no recognition. And the fact that they get no recognition again says something about us and our culture. I'm done letting us off the hook. And I'll tell you something else. I'm done pledging allegiance. I'm taking a knee until I can hold my head up again as a proud American, which once I was, every once in a while. Hate to be such a bummer. Um, I heard a little bit about this over the weekend, and then the Wall Street Journal stuck it on its front page today. Uh, you know, the flu is really going to town uh, in this country, almost every state is seeing higher levels than they've seen in years. It's a nasty one. The vaccine that I hope you got, I got, is not even 50% effective um, against it. And um, hospitals are overwhelmed. I mean, people are that ill. Hospitals are overwhelmed by people suffering. 
And one of the things you do if uh, you're hospitalized for almost anything is they stick an IV in you, right? And they make sure you stay uh, hydrated. And it turns out that there is a nationwide shortage right now, dangerous nationwide shortage, of the bags, the IV bags that hang from the little hook that hold the saline solution or, or whatever it is that they're pumping into very sick people. Hospitals, I have like maybe one day left. This is all over the country. And so they're having to jerry-rig things. They're having to, instead of IV bags, have nurses like spend a lot of time doing slow, I guess, kinds of injections of medicine that would otherwise be very carefully drip, drip, drip. And that means there's going to be side effects that otherwise wouldn't be. I mean, there's crap going on right now in every hospital in this country because we have no... IV bags, so much for, you know, this great nation and its ability to keep things running at a reasonable level. You know why there's an IV bag shortage? Most of the IV bags that are used in this country, the majority, come from a factory in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, a territory that whose aid we did not go to in any way, shape, or form like we did to states that were ravaged by hurricanes, even though those are U.S. citizens there. And the factory was down for some time. It's now sort of up, but its electrical generation is intermittent. How long ago has it been? Hmm? And look, it comes back to bite. Our government's refusal to do the right thing in Puerto Rico is now resulting in what is considered a health danger. Health leaders, it says here in the Wall Street Journal, are pressing the government and Congress to come up with new measures aimed at ensuring that there is never this kind of a problem again, that there is a steady supply of critical treatment products in all American hospitals. Need I tell you what Congress has done thus far? You're right. Nothing. A hospital can go through hundreds, hundreds, uh, or even thousands of these bags a day. And uh says here, right, uh, right here on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, some hospital officials say they have only a day or two supply remaining, and they are not sure they can handle an influx of, of patients as the influenza season ramps up. And all because of a hurricane and the extreme damage done to Puerto Rico and us thinking, oh, that's them. Who gives a shit? So if someone you love ends up in uh, the hospital this week, God forbid, they might not get the kind of care that they would normally get because there's not something as basic as an IV bag available. Okay, let's get to your uh, 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 emails. Lynn saw an episode on HBO's Vice that covered temporary workers and the need for mass quantities of them that Amazon uses. In the show, they were mostly Latino. Does Pittsburgh have a ready supply of $10 an hour temporary workers? No. 
But maybe it would up our Latino population, which is pretty low. Isn't that something? Yeah, Amazon's riches. I remember there there was a place. There wasn't one of their warehouses in Pennsylvania charged with cruelty to the workers. They were having them work like with no air conditioning in these stifling places, you know, filling boxes and doing all this stuff and unable to, I mean, people were dropping, if I recall. Amazon. And we're begging on our knees for them to come. God, I hope. I'm praying for Detroit. That's all I have to tell you. Little Tony says, Lynn, I've always thought of Oprah as a religious leader of a cult. I was sick of her 20 years ago. We got a TV star as president as it is, and we don't need another. Henry writes, I was wondering if you saw this tweet this morning from MSNBC suggesting that Mueller is preparing to interview Trump. MSNBC reports that lawyers for Trump have been discussing with the FBI a possible interview by the special counsel, Mueller himself, with the president as part of the inquiry into whether Trump's campaign colluded with Russia during the election. Oh, my God. Boy, is that a mismatch? The very stable genius up against uh, Robert Mueller. Yeah, things are definitely popping. You can see that in the Republicans uh, desperately trying anything they can do to undercut Mueller, to undercut the dossier, steal, whatever, bringing charges, saying distractions. Look at the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Foundation, Hillary, Abaddon, all this stuff. They're running scared. I also saw a, a little tweet that helps me understand something that I don't, haven't been able to understand. And that's how Lindsey Graham turned on a dime. I mean, he was the one who said this man is unfit. He continued to say that. Up until, what, about a month or two ago, when all of a sudden, bango. He's golfing with Trump. He's doing Trump's bidding. He's now on his knees, obsequious, uh, joining with the loathsome Grassley, going after Steele. Um, this is not as... I mean, he was one of those guys who every once in a while would do the right thing. He's gone f- totally flipped at a time when any rational person would flip the other way. He's flipped into this den of vipers. A guy who seemed to have somewhat of a head on his shoulders. And somebody suggested today, and it rings true with me, that he might be under a duress from somebody having something on him. And so that this seemingly extraordinary flip is a result of the fact that he's being threatened, blackmailed, that he will be brought down if he doesn't get on board. That Lindsey Graham is gay is generally, I think, understood by everybody. Every once in a while you hear a little joke, a little tossed-off joke. He himself has never had the courage, for whatever reason, I don't know, to acknowledge. And you could argue that your sexuality, his sexuality, my sexuality is nobody's goddamn business. And frankly, that's I do agree with that. So that's his choice. But it sets him up, potentially. This is why you say, we can't have gays in the government. It sets them up for... That seemingly isn't true anymore, but it could be he's got something to hide that is so, to him, something to hide 
it's the only I'm I think it's the only way to explain what happened to a guy who used to be able to think critically because he's joined the the Yahoo chorus and it doesn't make any sense I'm just saying I don't get it Little Tony says, I love that caller. I guess talking about you. We only had one caller. My gentleman caller. My gentleman caller was expressing the rage, the self-righteous rage of so many of us. And uh, I'm completely there. Oh God! I am the very. Do I have that song in your head yet? Because it was in mine all weekend. I mean, I was singing it left, right, and center. I am the very model of a God. There was a piece <clears throat> also in the. Times that over the weekend, um, again dealing with women and what's going on with women now, and women's dovetails with the Golden Globes last night. This newfound voice they have, the feistiness, the um, <clears throat> it is um, unprecedented that women are being listened to and an awful lot of men are understanding it's their time to shut the fuck up. It's probably just a moment, but maybe not. But I think everybody is, for the first time, a lot of guys are having to acknowledge that women's lives have burdens that theirs do not. I'm going to share with you something written by a smart cookie named Jill Filipovic. Filipovic, I don't know. She says, there is little more foundational to American womanhood than self-sacrifice. You all know it. You just have to look to the women in your life. The, the, the mother who always takes the part of the roast that has gristle. The, you know, they just can't do enough for others. Their idea of is serving, serving. That's what women's roles have been self-sacrifice we are the women's the country's caretakers in our houses for our children in nursing homes for the elderly in schools the teachers daycare centers the teachers in hotels and in restaurants anything that is service there are women. And at home, I'll read what she says. We make sure lunch boxes are packed, food is served, dishes are washed, and doctor's appointments are scheduled. At the office, we make sure meetings are set up and everyone at the table feels heard. We do this out of expectation and upbringing. In households across America, girls do more unpaid labor than their brothers. And this dynamic of free female work in the service of others, especially men, is so pervasive, we don't even see it. How many of your families in your homes when you get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas or a Passover Seder, 
how many of your homes are like my home was where the women the mother and the girls and the grandmother did all the work made the food set the table served then took the plates away then cleaned while the men sat and it's accepted Women are here to serve. The big thing about this moment is a lot of women are saying, you know what, notice that. Acknowledge it. Give it value. Give me value. And don't get on your high horse when you would be nothing without the work of women. You wouldn't even be here. You wonder why women are angry? See, here's what happened. Because women have spent their lives doing what they're supposed to do, which is taking care of everybody else. They don't take care of themselves. I used to say, I'm always marvel at people who know what they want. Because I don't. And I think a lot of women don't. Because we're not trained to think in those terms of what do I want or what do I need it's always making sure everybody else is comfortable understand that I know men who are like this that are giving like this but they are a total minority and I know women who are not caregivers they are a minority. Women's history from day one has been of people whose cravings have been systematically squelched in nearly every corner of the world by every religion, all of them paternalistic. Our clothes, our bodies, our brains, our ambitions have been legislated, politicized, and reviled. And fear of what women might desire really is behind much of the repression of women throughout history and continuing with the misogyny we see now. A woman who acts in her own self-interest is judged selfish, without a doubt. A man? Not. So guys, I know you're getting beaten up now, but you know what? It's high fucking time. Women are hungry, but having been bred to feel sated by denial, half the time women don't even know what it is we are hungry for. Pity the woman who says she doesn't want children because she'd rather spend her money traveling the world or she admits she took a job because she craved power. These women are self-absorbed. They are greedy. They are deceitful. They are selfish. The anger that's going on now is an amazing moment in women's history. I don't know if it will be maintained lead to anything because here's one thing I know the men who run everything will never give up their power ever it has to be taken and that's the truth so 
Just saying. There's been something that's poked into a hornet's nest here. And it's real. And I beg men to not take it personally, but to see it in that bigger picture of millennia of the power of patriarchy in women's lives that still does not allow them to live their own lives. If the women of this world went on strike for even a day, the place would come to a halt. And I'm thinking that's exactly what should happen, really. Okay, I don't know where all that anger came from, but it did come right from yours truly. Sorry about that, and uh, see you tomorrow. Bye. My military knowledge, though I'm pluggy and adventuring, has only been brought down to the beginning of the century. But still, in my disreputable animal and mineral, I am the very model of a modern major general. <laughs>